You're listening to Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Good morning and welcome to the last day of the week and the final trading day of the quarter. It's Friday the 31st of March. This is Peter Lewis with Money Talk, which is available as a podcast on Substack, iTunes, Google and Spotify. In today's business and finance headlines... Alibaba executives on Thursday further clarified the nature of the restructuring announcement to split into six business groups, each with the ability to raise outside funding and go public. In a conference call with investors, CEO Daniel Zhang said Alibaba will be more of the nature of an asset and capital operator than a business operator in relation to the business group companies. CFO Topi Xu said on the call that after the restructuring process takes place, and the separate entities go public, Alibaba will continue to evaluate the strategic importance of these companies, and then it will decide whether or not to retain control of them. China's Premier Li Chang has warned against allowing chaos and conflicts to erupt in Asia and jeopardise the region's prosperity. Speaking at the annual Bao Forum, he vowed that Beijing will continue to reform and open up. On China's domestic economic outlook, Premier Li said the situation in March would be better than in the first two months of the year, and indicators like consumption and investment have become better. Taiwan's President Tsai Ing-wen has arrived in the USA on a 10-day trip, which includes Latin America, to warnings from China of serious confrontation. In response, the US said Beijing shouldn't overreact to Ms Tsai's trip. And European Commission President Ursula von der Leyen said Thursday that Brussels must develop new defensive tools to counter a more assertive China. She said the EU needed to establish a clear line for trade in highly sensitive technologies such as quantum computing and artificial intelligence where military use cannot be excluded or where there are human rights implications. On today's programme, I'm joined by Francis Lund, the CEO of Geo Securities. With a view from Australia, it's Toby Lawson, Director at Staten Advice. And if you want to get in touch, please go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. US stocks closed higher Thursday despite continued weakness in the banking sector. The S&P 500 added 0.6%, closing at 4,051 and touching its highest level since March the 7th. With one day trading left for the quarter, the S&P 500 has notched gains of 5.5% for the first three months of the year so far. The Dow added 141 points, or 0.4%, to close at 32,859. Tech stocks were the outperformer on the day, and also over the quarter so far. The Nasdaq Composite advanced 0.7% and ended the day at 12,013. For the January to March period, the tech-heavy index has gained 14.8%, one of its best quarters in a decade. Financial stocks were the big laggards. The KBW Regional Banking Index fell 2%, taking its losses for the first quarter so far to almost 20%. In Hong Kong, the Hang Seng Index rebounded from morning losses to close the day 117 points, or 0.6% higher, at 20,309. The Tech Index added 0.6%, and on the mainland, the Shanghai Composite rose 0.7% to 3,261. Shares of Alibaba, which surged more than 12% Wednesday following the announcement of its restructuring plans, added another 2.5% on Thursday. And futures markets are pointing to a gain of around 50 points for the Hang Seng at the open. 
Elsewhere in the markets, US Treasuries made modest gains with the 10-year yield slipping one basis point to 3.55%. The US dollar was sold against most currencies, while oil rose more than 1%. And you can get more details on the latest market movements on my daily blog at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. And it's time to welcome our guests. Unfortunately, Andrew Sullivan can't make it this morning, but we do have with us and delighted to welcome Francis Lunn, the CEO of Geo Securities. Morning, Francis. Hi, good morning. Well, let's start with uh, Alibaba. We did get more details yesterday yeah. on the nature of this restructuring announcement, which is to split um, Alibaba into six business groups. Each is going to have the ability to raise outside funding and go public. It's the most significant reorganization in the Chinese e-commerce giant's history. CEO Daniel Zhang said yesterday that Alibaba is going to be more like a holding company um, rather than a business operator. But what was interesting was he said the group's going to maintain full ownership of online sales platforms Tmail and Taobao which are more profitable than the group as a whole. Um, and then it will consider whether or not to stay in strategic control of some of the other um, business units. So, Francis, what do you make of this? Is, is this a good idea, do you think? Well, what you end up is a Snow White and the Five Dwarfs. <laughs> so, uh, uh, and they uh, deliberately left out the end group, actually. Uh, the... the, the uh, uh, you have uh, two business under margin uh, that make money, make money. One is, of course, Taobao and Timor, and mm. the other one is the financial group. Okay? Which, uh, and financial. Yeah, that's right. Which they said nothing about. Yeah, they said nothing about, but, but, but those two were, were the ones that make in, uh, that they will be significant in the market. Mm. But the others, we, I, I, I really, I will not invest in them because. Uh, uh, they won't become too much. Uh, several years ago, when when the share price was was at, at its peak, uh, the uh, Alibaba Group was worth something like uh, uh, five to seven trillion. Uh, uh, Alibaba and Tencent were among the ten biggest companies in the world, rivaling uh, uh, Alphabet, Microsoft, as uh, Amazon, etc. and 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 they were on a tear, and then come 2020, when N, N Financial Group was trying to list it, then the government put a stop to it, and from then on, it's all the way downhill, and the mm. share price went down to six, uh, sixty-one dollars. Uh, uh, when when you split up the company into into several small groups, then 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 you lost the size because why uh, why are these American Big techs so formidable because of their size, because they they're worth a trillion or two trillion dollars. They can conquer and obliterate all the competitors in their own field. And and we, if you split up Tencent or or Alibaba into these smaller groups, they don't have the size. Mm. And, and 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 then. Their, their uh, motors of Brandi before 2019 was really, uh, if you cannot beat them, buy them. So, so they, they, that's how they grew, didn't they? <laughs> by all these acquisitions <laughs> that, over the years. That's right. But but the Chinese government put an end to it because they put, they passed all this anti-monopoly law and all this, and and so 
what I can say is that the, 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 the glory days of the big tax in China uh, is over because, because the government feared the size of the, this big tax. They discovered that the uh, 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 Alibaba and Tencent, they have more money than the Chinese government and, and they have more influence than actually the government because they, they also control the online media, online platform, and they want to cut them into size. And, 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 and this slope uh, uh, white and fire dropping is really a response to the government's control. So, so, so uh, looking forward, I, I would rather put my money into the, the American big tax because they had the, the, the size to conquer the world. And, and the Chinese big tax, I think, will be limited to China. They, will, they won't have the size to conquer the world. So it sounds like you don't really believe that this is going to unlock shareholder value. Uh, I certainly don't believe it. <laughs> because if, if, they, if they can do it, then, if, then, then Apple and Amazon and uh, Microsoft would have split their main business Says mm. into several divisions, the companies that split into several divisions are, are the companies that are in trouble, like Hewlett Packard. Mm-hmm. Hewlett Packard split into two companies because the share prices were uh, were not doing well. Mm. So, so, so it sounds like the rationale behind this, in in terms of the government anyway, uh-huh. is not unlocking shareholder value. They're not worried about that. It's about control and, right. and how they. Uh, they they don't really like these big conglomerates, do yeah, they? And they, yeah, they want... that, yeah, that's the, how, how the Chinese government look at them. They fear their size. They fear their influence. They, they, that's why they, they, want, they have to put a party secretary in, into the company to, to, to control them uh, so that their influence will not rival that of the government. So from what you're saying, then, this is not going to really reduce what is known as the conglomerate discounts that these <laughs> big firms have. And we've seen it in the past, haven't we? Because yeah. JD.com mm. had subsidiaries that had separate listings, but it didn't really help JD.com that much. No, no, it did not. I think I, I, I don't think JD Logistics or JD Health did anything spectacular for the, for the investors. So... Well, uh, of course, the market uh, uh, did not agree with me up to now. Uh, Alibaba has have risen 20% since the announcement. So great for uh, shareholders or investors of, of Alibaba. Mm-hmm. And what about Ant Group? It is, nothing was said about it at all, was it? But So where uh-huh. does this fit in, do you think? Do you think the IPO for Ant Group is back on? I think I think Anglo will will be listed sometime in the future, but but the problem is that they will be put under the same control as the other commercial banks. Mm. That that means uh, very tight control, and they they, uh, they don't they don't have the freedom as they would have if they had been a uh, uh, a technology group. They mm. they can do anything, and then they they. they 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 can go like uh, sixty times uh, uh, leverage and all that, but uh, as as a as a com- uh, if you operate like a controlled commercial bank or, or or financial institutions, I think the maximum leverage you can go to is something like ten to one, 
Mm. And so they will limit your size and your mm. profitability. And what do you make of Jack Ma's reappearance um, in, in Huangzhou the day before that? I mean, clearly <laughs> it wasn't a coincidence, was it? Definitely he didn't, not. He didn't just get suddenly fed up with travelling abroad and decided to go home. What, what, what's yeah. the significance of well, that? Well, well there, were, there, there were some unofficial uh, reports that the, the Chinese government wanted Jack Ma to come back. Mm. Uh, they 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 don't want to see uh, one of the most successful Chinese business, businessmen to go into exile. <laughs> right. I, I don't think that's good. Like 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 Goldman like which went went into exile in America and and then launched his daily attacks on the Chinese government. They they don't want to see that. <laughs> mm. And and what about the Balfour? we had Premier Lee there. He said mm-hmm. several times now he's been trying to sort of emphasize his business credentials when he was the head of Shanghai, Mm -hmm. how business friendly he was. Mm -hmm. He's been saying at the Balforum all week um, China's going to continue to open up. They welcome American investments and American firms um, coming to the country and whatever happens they're going to continue with that process and that uh, China's going to be very business friendly, including for private businesses. Yeah, I I think that's a good development. Don't forget uh, the previous premier Li Keqiang. Uh, uh, he 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 is not a, a, a Xi Jinping protege. He was he was not brought up by Xi Jinping. So uh, so so that that is why Xi Jinping never really worked closely with him. And 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 as soon as uh, uh, Li Keqiang uh, took up the premiership and then tried to say something about the economy. And then uh, there, there is some something in the news media said that uh, countering Li Keqiang's uh, uh, say uh, uh, policies. Uh, it, it was not until the last year that Li Keqiang was able to say what he he wants to say. He's saying that the six hundred million Chinese were below the poverty line, and and and, and we need, need the uh, hawker economy to help the poor, things like that. And and he was honest saying the real things, uh, but but he was not able to 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 launch his own policy. Uh, uh, that's that's why you have this. Uh, 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 attacks on the big tax uh, and certainly not very business-friendly policies. But uh, Li Chiang is another uh, another story because because Li, Li Chiang was brought up by Xi Jinping through the ranks, so so that he will, he he will be at ease to to let let Li, Li, Li Chiang to do what he wants to do. Hmm. So, so if he's uh, business friendly, that's good. Then, then, you're, you're not going to find a descending voice in the uh, or policy in the Politburo. So, I think uh, uh, the uh, economic policies uh, of the new administration it will be much more big tech friendly than the previous one. Do you think U.S. companies, though, are listening? Because according to a survey uh, from AmCham, for the first time in 25 years, mm. a majority of U.S. businesses no longer view the country as a top investment priority. <laughs> I, I, I think that's, that is a tough job that Li, Li Chang has to overcome this antagonism. Mm. I, 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 th- I think the uh, lockdown policies, the COVID policies certainly did not help. And uh, uh, China ca- has own herself only herself to blame. 
uh, to drive out all these uh, uh, foreign businesses. Mm. Uh, uh, Apple did not want to uh, expand in India, but with the lockdown and and with uh, people escaping from from uh, Foxconn factories in Hana, they have no choice. They expanded the capacity of their uh, uh, Indian plant by four times, and they moved part of the production uh, to India. But I, I think uh, China will have to work, work very hard to win back the confidence of the foreign businesses. And, and the problem is that there's also problems on Capitol Hill, isn't there? Because if you're the mm-hmm. U- a U.S. company that expands now in China, <laughs> increases your investment, you're going to get a lot of hostile questioning from lawmakers yeah, that's um, in, right. in Congress. And then also you have things like the disappearance of Bao Fan. That's put people off as well, hasn't it? It's, yeah. it's, it there's problems all around for U.S. companies. Yeah, that's right. Uh, 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 on in Washington, uh, both parties can agree on one thing that is anything that's anti-China. <laughs> mm, it does seem to unite them, yeah, doesn't it, as yeah, we saw that, with uh, TikTok. Yeah, that's right. Uh, China bashing is a sure way to win voters. <laughs> mm. that, that is why uh, China has uh, such a negative image uh, in, the, in, in America. And, uh, uh, well, uh, it, Previously, I, th- I, I, I think the uh, grandson of uh, uh, Deng Xiaoping said something con- uh, criticizing the, the government on, on these policies, but then he was silent so that now nobody said anything. Mm. What do you make of the economic outlook? We're going to get important data today mm-hmm. on industrial production, retail sales, fixed asset investment. Premier Lee said the situation in March will be better than in the mm. first two months of the year. Are you mm. seeing signs of that? Yeah, definitely. Well, you you, you just look at Hong Kong. <laughs> there are Chinese uh, 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 tourists everywhere now, people with suitcases walking around in Hong Kong. So, so the reopening of China will mean a much better, uh, higher domestic consumption, which translates into a, a higher industrial production, the industrial profit for everybody. I think, I think the 2023 will be a year of recovery. I think things will get much better from, from now on. I hope so. And what do you make then of the, of the markets? If you look at the performance this quarter, Hong Kong stocks really are the underperformers, aren't mm-hmm. they? Even compared with the rest of Asia, the Hang Seng up about 2.7% so far this quarter. Uh-huh. Compare that with the Nikkei in Japan up 6.5%, the Cosby in South Korea up 9. Uh, 9.7%, and if you go over to the US, yeah. the Nasdaq up almost 15%. Yeah, I, I, I think we have to uh, thank Alibaba for the, for the, for, for the late take up uh, 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 the market take up above uh, 20,000 now. I think we will close, hopefully we will close above 20,000. And then actually, actually 20,000 is, is still a very low point for the, for the Hong Kong uh, uh, Hang Seng Index. Uh, it should have been more than 30,000 now if, if the economy was 
performing uh, normally. But of course, uh, this past three three years uh, have have not been very normal. So we are recovering from the lockdown. I think we will continue to recover. Uh, hopefully, we'll we'll go up at least to twenty six thousand in the year because mainly due to economic recovery in China. And what about then for the second quarter? Do you see um, a brighter outlook for the local markets? Yeah, definitely. I think I think with with the return of Chinese tourists and and if you go to uh, the convention center, you you see many people returning, foreign foreign visitors returning, and hopefully Cafe Pacific can find more flights and hire more pilots and uh, stewards, etc. And uh, I think Hong Kong uh, economic growth will be much better this year, and and so will the stock market. I think uh, uh, at least we will we will go up to twenty two thousand seven hundred. Okay, well that's a good uh, good sign. It's nice to finish on a <laughs> yeah. on a positive note. Thank you very much for that, Francis. You're welcome. Have a great weekend. You're welcome. That's Francis Lun, who is the CEO of Geo Securities. You're listening to Peter Lewis's Money Talk. I'm joined now by Toby Lawson, who is director at Staten Advice down in Australia. Morning, Toby. Hey, good morning, Peter. Um, well, let's start off in Australia, because we did have some data, didn't we, on, on inflation. came in at 6.8%. I think that was a bit slower than what um, economists were expecting. Also down from 4, 7.4% um, in January. What, what's the feeling now about interest rate rises in Australia? Do you think the Reserve Bank of Australia is ready to start pausing? Yeah, it's a really interesting debate we're having here after that inflation data. So we saw a 6.8% number from 74 as you mentioned. Um, and they were thinking around 72 So they were still looking for a 7% inflation figure. So it was quite a good number. Market uh, took that. And, of course, all the commentary after that was what are the Reserve going to do in April? And um, there was a sense that they were on the, on the verge of pausing on rate rises, and this probably strengthens that argument. I still think it's probably 50-50, although the futures markets are probably pricing now a, a good chance of a pause by the RBA. But 6.8% is still lofty when it comes to inflation and CPI. So uh, if your target for the Reserve Bank is 2 to 3% over the medium term, they've got a fair way to go. Mm. So it's possible that they'll want to get to their terminal rate, their target of, of let's say, just over 4%. I think we had it around 4.1, which means a couple of more tightenings in the in the pipe. So there's a, there's a good argument both ways, Pete. I, I, I'm not sure, but as I said, I think the market's probably erring on a pause, but uh, I'd say it's closer to 50-50. Which I presume is also dependent upon what the Fed does, where it's a very similar story, isn't it? The, if you look at the Fed fund futures markets, it's about 50-50 now whether or not there's going to be another 25 basis point rate hike in May. And then after that, um, investors are pricing in 75 basis points of rate cuts, which seems to me to be a bit of a stretch. A little optimistic, I think, on the on the easings, but uh, yeah, the real difficulty is measuring the lag effect, right? So we've had a very hard run up in in uh, rates. Um, the data, at least in the employment sense, and even some of the consumer sentiment data, doesn't suggest that it's it's completely bitten, but I think it's still to flow through. So uh, it's really a, a timing issue, um, and I think with the banking crisis, uh, that sort of was a bit of an exogenous shock to this whole. Uh, inflation um, battle, um, that sort of uh, forced the Fed to be 
um, cautious, but at the same time, I think they wanted to make sure that they didn't drop back on their rate hikes. And so I thought it was was probably an obvious move that they were going to hike, even despite the finance, uh, the banking uh, crisis that was occurring, because they didn't want to send the wrong message. Um, and so I suggest it's probably close to 50-50, but if the central banks determined to to kill inflation, then to send a message of pausing may actually have a counter effect, particularly as we think that prices are going to be stickier over the medium term. And it can all change so quickly, can't it? We've got the uh, the core PCE uh, price data tonight from the United States, which is the Fed's preferred measure of inflation. A bad number there, and those odds can completely change on a, on a dime, can't they? Correct. Correct. And that's the, that's the whole point. I think we're still in a market that's uh, got a lot of uncertainty. Interestingly, we're watching the volatility index. It's something I watch quite a lot. And it's um, yeah, the VIX uh, is back under 20%. Hasn't been like that for a while, and it was, you know, it was up in the high teen, uh, high twenties uh, to thirty um, for a large part of the of the recent period when this inflation moves. So um, it seems that the markets are getting a little more comfortable um, now. Low volatility doesn't necessarily mean an increase in asset prices, but it certainly helps investors be a bit more confident. And just been tracking that for the last week, and it's certainly um, stabilised below uh, that twenty percent mark, which suggests the market's a little more comfortable. With the banking crisis being out of the way, the Fed may be coming into a pause and the economy not sliding into an aggressive recession. I think there's jury still out, to be honest, Pete, but that's how the market's feeling right now, I think. Do you think the banking crisis is over or the, the worst of it is over? Or do you think there's still a risk that we don't really know, particularly when it comes to small regional banks, not just in the US, but around the world, really, whether it be in, uh, in Japan or Germany or Switzerland, just what there is on their balance sheets, because it's all a bit of a black hole. Yeah, well, particularly when you have rules around um, held, you know, not having to remark um, certain assets on the balance sheet if they're held to maturity. The, uh, in, so, in a sense, it's hard to actually see what the real value is. I think of the sectors, you know, in regional banks in the US, some 45, I think, on average, go bust every year in the US. So, mm. um, it's not an unusual phenomenon. I think the non-banking financial sector is one I'd be definitely keeping an eye on, because if you look at it, they can get hit on both legs. They can hit get hit on delinquencies. Um, are going up through economic uh, pain, but also their funding costs go up because they need to obviously borrow uh, from banks to, um, and so they can get hit with a double whammy and the mm. dislocation could occur in that non-bank sector. And that'd be where an area where I keep a good close eye on. And what do you make of the market performance this quarter? One trading day uh, left. Um, if you look at the broad indices in the US, you would think nothing has happened this quarter. The S&P 500 up 5.5%. No sign there of a banking crisis. But then when you look within it, um, the regional banking index, the KBW index, down about 20%. The NASDAQ 100, which contains all the mega cap tech stocks, up over 20%. Massive divergence. Yeah, I think the market got a little ahead of itself at the beginning of the year. Right? It got a little bit effusive that the worst was over and got a little excited. Uh, and then they got punctured uh, you know, by the Fed and also by this banking crisis. So... Um, if you look at the overall, it looks like it was a pretty good performance. If you look at it in in the in, in the in the prism of what you're seeing now, but at the time, if you look at it a couple of months January, everyone was getting a little bit excited, weren't they? And the market was quite positive. So I think we've come back. I think there's still some downside um, potential, and again, not driven by anything exogenous. I think just generally uh, the economic data to feed through. Hopefully, um, for at least the investor side, will reflect the reality of higher interest rates. At the moment, that's still a bit of a 
a conundrum, I think, for central banks and also for investors is that we should be seeing more aggressive decline in activity, but we're not quite seeing it. So uh, is that going to flow through? Are we going to get a soft landing? Are we going to get a hard recession? And so I, I would suggest that going into May, and we used to say that equities selling may go away, we might mm-hmm. yet still see some downside in the equity market before the mid-year. Equities seem to be correlated with the volatility in the bond markets that we we talked about last week, in fact, because there's been some real Mm -hmm. wild swings, hasn't there? We had uh, something like 12 days in a row where the two-year yield moved at least 20 basis points a day. I mean, that's just unprecedented. It's the sort of run we haven't seen since 1981. But it seems to have calmed down um, in in the last couple of sessions, the volatility in the bond market. And that seems to have helped stabilise stocks as well, doesn't it? Yeah, I think the bond market plays a, a big role in sentiment. Um, and yeah, the bond market uh, had whipsawed through most of March, uh, settled in towards the end of March. Um, rates, uh, yeah, so we just, what, 412, I think, on the two year. Um, so yeah, but well off its highs, right? I think we, we almost hit a, a five print, didn't we, on the, on the two year? Um, so yeah, that, that volatility helps. And you can see that reflected in, as you say, equity prices being a little firmer and also volatility index coming off. Um, to sort of more a long-term trend view. So let's see if it remains. Uh, as I said, I think we're going into April. It's an interesting month. You get some uh, holidays. Uh, and then, as you know, historically, we've always had that May month, which tends to be a seller for equity. So um, lots of things to look out for. Um, in terms of dislocation, I think it's really going to be potentially regional banks uh, around the world and, and then the non-bank sector if there's, if, if there's further rate rises. I had and that an e- may yet be to play out. I, I had an email, Toby, from a listener this week who said um, investors are looking at the corporate bond market for signs of market stress, but he thinks they're looking in the wrong place. He said all the eyes should be on the leverage loan markets. He says that their um, mm-hmm. issuance of, of high-yield uh, bonds is up by about uh, two times from last year. There's about 1.4 trillion bonds um, outstanding. He thinks that's where there could mm-hmm. be problems and that's where people should be looking yeah, I think uh, the high yield sector definitely. I think investment grade bonds. I think maybe you know this should be fairly, fairly benign in terms of impact. But of course, you know, the whole bond market gets impact. But yeah, high yield um, might have got a little attracted a little bit too much hot money. Um, uh, it's n- not unusual, right? Uh, people mm-hmm. chasing chasing bigger returns uh, take greater risk. Um, and uh, of course, uh, on the corporate side. Um, we've yet to see, you know, feel the sense that the corporate sector is in really in financial stress. Um, it's more the financial sector, uh, maybe the one that's stretched in terms of its ability to continue to provide um, funding for balance sheets. And I think that's an interesting uh, debate that will continue to play out. Toby, thank you very much indeed. Have a great weekend and we'll talk to you uh, in a couple of weeks. That's Toby okay, Lawson. All the best. Thank you. That's Toby Lawson, who is Director of Staten Advice. Thank you very much for listening today and this week. You can get more information on breaking business news and market movements in my daily updates, which are posted on peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. On Monday's program, I'll be joined by Alex Wong, Director at Alex KY Wong Asset Management, and Iris Pang, who is Chief Greater China Economist at ING Wholesale Banking. With a view from mainland China is Yan'an Wu, who is chairman of Surfing Group. Have a great weekend and I'll see you on Monday. Money Talk.